Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. WABE in Atlanta. This is a special edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. We are broadcasting live from one of the city's historic neighborhoods. It is the West End neighborhood. It's inside. You ready? Y'all ready? You ready out there? Y'all ready? Here we go. Unity Coffee and Cafe. Like uh, It is our monthly series, Coffee Conversations, in partnership with the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. And I want to welcome everyone who's joining us here live and, of course, everyone out there who's watching us virtually in our live stream. Now, we all know Atlanta's West End neighborhood is a historic community, just like so many neighborhoods in Atlanta. It's home to the AUC. So when I say your institution, feel free to shout out or whatever you want to do. It's got Morehouse, Spelman, Clark, Atlanta. Okay, Morehouse School of Medicine, <laughs> ITC, all right, Hammond's House Museum. Yeah. See, there we go. <laughs> and like so many of Atlanta's neighborhoods, you know what? It's been changing, and for some, the change has been slow. And for others, there are concerns about the neighborhood keeping its identity, making sure legacy residents can remain in their homes, and ensuring small businesses can also thrive, which is why we're here. We'll talk about all that, of course. Some of our guests will include Atlanta City Council Member Jason Dozier. He'll join me in just a moment. But first, as we always do, we get the backstory of the story of the coffee shop. And I am honored now to be joined by the owner of Unity Coffee and Cafe. It is Tassili Moat. She's the owner. And for some, she's considered the mother of the community. That's what I was told. You're the mother of the community. Is that right? <laughs> you are the mother of the community. Everybody calls me Mama Tassili. You know, community leaders, uh, you will hear affectionately be called as queen, mother this, or what have you. And when people ask me, I just say, you can call me Tassili, or you can call me Mama Tassili. And that's what they do. It, yeah. It's um, really something that the people have chosen. And so I do my best to honor that. Let me ask you this, Tassili, why this location, why this community? Because this is the second, there was another establishment here first, it didn't look nothing like this, no shade, but this is really something. And you have an overstuffed giraffe, which <laughs> I affectionately have named Sydney, but this is an, this is an incredible space. Why here? Ah, uh, well, why not here? You know, I moved to Atlanta in 88 from San Diego. I came with the first National Black Arts Festival and fell in love with Atlanta. Yeah. You know, um, I wanted to be able to ensure that at the time my three young black sons um, had an environment to grow up in where they could see black people being successful in all walks of life. 
which they could not necessarily see that in most of California. Not to say that it doesn't have, you sure. know, its perks, but for for young black boys, you know, it, it was essential that they could see something else that reflected them. And after being here, I remarried and had two more children. And the older boys eventually moved back to California and uh, went to live with their father, but the two younger ones were raised here. And I've called Atlanta home now for about 36 years. Mm -hmm. It's the place I've been the longest. You've seen this community go through a lot of changes. A lot. Some say too slow. Some say moving too fast. As a small business owner, do you have some concerns about what's happening or what's not happening that should benefit, that's key, that should benefit this community? So, of course, um, in the sense that I always want to see my community grow and flourish. And there were things that were promised back in 88 mm -hmm. that have not transpired since that time. I remember even in having my brick and mortar and begging a city, city councilwoman to bring me some trash cans. Really? <laughs> you know, and it was a struggle. Finally got them, but it was a struggle to get them. And I'm not saying that to blame the city, but simply to just say that accountability rests on all of us and all of our shoulders. You know, are we doing our part to be sure that we're staying in tune with um, our guests who are our customers because without them mm -hmm. we wouldn't be in business let's just be clear and then to be able to have relationships with each other and as an eatery um, when I first got started and, and other new vegan eateries would then open up people tended to want to compare us and pit us against each other in mm -hmm. this competitive way that capitalism fosters. And I said, uh, no. That's not what we're I'm doing. practicing um, collective work and responsibility and cooperative economics, Ujima and Ujima, which are the principles, two of the principles of Kwanzaa. I said, and so these healthy eateries are my allies. Mm. They are not my competition. My competition are the fast food joints. You know, they are... Uh, the places that we know are killing our people. So we're fighting for the souls, the very souls of our people. And one of the things that has been very helpful in us being successful is that we are a non-judgment zone. So some of our guests who primarily are meat eaters mm -hmm. will come to our restaurant and they may have a wrap for lunch and go home and have a pork chop for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't judge them because sure. I feel like, well, for one, I used to eat anything and everything. I grew up doing that. Yeah. So who am I to judge? It's a journey. And two, at least they're making an effort to find balance in their life. So as our community grows and matures and there are new folks that come, I would rather see us take on the responsibility of revitalizing rather than being victims of gentrification. And really, to me, it's a mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, we can f act like, oh, all the other folks are coming in and all this money's coming in and we're scared, <laughs> you know, or we can say, well, what can we do to be a part of the transformation that's going to make our community stronger 
Let's talk about that G word, gentrification, because for some people, they say, you know what, it's not that bad. All it means is that the community is changing. But for others, when they hear that word gentrification, they automatically might think of displacement legacy, displacing legacy residents, displacing longtime business owners. Look around. You know, there's big development everywhere. It's come to the west side, and it's been halted, Microsoft, uh, in some other areas. Do you have concerns that... Small businesses like like yours may not or may have a challenge in the future if more development comes well, in. I'm not concerned about my place. I've been blessed to have the type of product that um, people didn't even know that they wanted. You know, we we feed a hunger that folks the world doesn't even know it has. Yeah. You know, they just have to taste our food, and they taste life. They taste love. And so just like during COVID, we were considered an essential business because there is so much out there that is processed, that is dead food. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about meat per se. I'm sure. just talking about all of the heavily processed foods that are plaguing our communities. When they taste our food, they taste life. And people can tell the difference. Let's talk about the food because I had the Easy Does It English muffin this morning. Yes. Now, I got to tell you. I had to ease off the fig jam, which is it's good. It's just you know, but it was it was good. And, and my producer said, "Is this meat?" I said, no, "It's fake meat." Well, not fake yeah, meat. It's, it's faux, fake. It's faux. okay. <laughs> it was it was imposter sausage. It was really, yes, it, it was, is. We we say faux meat, but for real though, it's fake. It was it's really okay. really good. Now I want to talk about something else. Uh, I took and I added something to your menu because this is what I do. You know, I come in folks' coffee shops. So mm-hmm. for today only, we have a new drink, right? It's not only. We are going to embrace it. You're going to add me to the menu. part of our menu. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> We're all inclusive. And the name of the drink will be called? The West End Rose. Woo! See? 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 Now... Let's tell everybody what's in the West End Rose. And I got text messages over here already. Uh, Because there's another coffee place that has me on a menu. But what's in this West End Rose? So we started with Bio Coffee Mm -hmm. and Yerba Mate Tea. It's a wonderful blend. So you're getting the benefits, the the, um, herbal benefits, health benefits of Yerba Mate, which helps build the immune system, gives you energy, good stuff. And the bio coffee, and bio coffee has been infused with wheatgrass. And the wheatgrass helps to neutralize the effects, the negative effects of caffeine. So you get that little bit of a lift Mm -hmm. without being (laughs) like that. And so for someone like me who really doesn't drink coffee very often, but I enjoy the taste, it works out fine. And it has lavender. Oh, yes. It's a latte. The, yes. And, you, and folks, if you get it, if you come in and you ask for the West End Rose, I suggest you get the oat milk as well. The oat milk, yes. It's, it's excellent. It, That's what makes um, the, the Unity and Coffee brand so nice is that we are the only all-vegan breakfast and coffee house in the city. I can say that because other coffee houses may have vegan options. But their um, menu will include other dairy products, which is fine if you want sure. that. But we wanted to be able to be the go-to spot for people who didn't want that challenge. You know, So here we are, here for the community. COVID slowed us down, mm-hmm. so we're slowly but surely gradually opening up. We have grab-and-go items for people mm-hmm. and 
by April, we're planning to be fully open. During the pandemic and so many eateries, restaurants, some closed down, did not come back. Right. At any time, were you concerned that, did you have any, any concerns about, can we get through this? What if this continues at the, at the height of it when it was really bad? My only concern about that was supply chain. Mm -hmm. You know, um, were they going to shut down the the truck drivers, the transporters to to bring the food? Were they going to shut down the growers of the food? You know, but other than that, no. Because as I said before, we satisfy a hunger that the world didn't even know it had. So when COVID hit, we our lines tripled. We already had lines, mm -hmm. and we've been blessed to have that. But they literally tripled because people recognized that they needed to start paying more attention to their health. The city of Atlanta obviously has had a lot, not just with this current administration, with, with Mayor Andre Dickens, but going way back to Maynard Jackson, Atlanta's first beloved mm -hmm. black mayor. And yes. everyone says the same thing. we got to make sure we keep the identity of the West Side, but we've got to make sure, as Maynard used to say, they're the same amenities on this side of the tracks for the other ones. What is missing or still needs to be improved for this community, this side of town? Okay, so I'm going to start. So no offense, this mm -hmm. is the West End. The West, West End, end is you. the best end. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, so let's be clear. Let's be clear. You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> Not just the West Side, because, you know, you have a lot of West Side. That's true. You know? But we are the West End and there is a lot that I think will never change about this area, and that is the eclectic nature of it, mm -hmm. the culture that is here, um, the artsy flavor that is here, the African-centered frequency that is here, and there's also a bohemian vibration. Well, they said the same thing about Harlem, and uh, have you been to Harlem lately? I have been to Harlem, and I do know that we are slowly but surely making our presence there again. Okay. But we shouldn't have had to leave in the first should place. Not. But then, <laughs> then so, so now what I do in having to be somewhat, in being somewhat of a history buff, Harlem wasn't ours to begin with. True. Okay? So we had to look at the Jewish community. But then when we talk about who are the original inhabitants, well, our Native American ancestors. Let's talk about the Muscogee, the, the, the Creek people. True. And, and so that's me also. I can claim ancestry from both sides of the water. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, when we as a people recognize that this is our land just as much as it is anyone else's, because a lot of times we get caught up with saying, oh, well, we came over on the slave ships. Well, many of of us did, but many of us were already here. However, when it comes to maybe things that you can't control, if yes. we talk about what happens with the Mall West End, which there's been ownerships in, out, we right. don't know what's going to happen. We know what happened with, with other communities. That you can't control. Well, but, I, I disagree with that. Okay. I did, so, and the reason why I disagree with that is because when, when you decide that you're committed to where you are, then you begin to have ownership. You have accountability, and you begin to involve yourself in the goings-on in the area so that you can have a voice. You feel like your voices are represented, and we're going to talk to Jason Dozier in just a moment, uh, to be fair. Do you feel like your voices are being heard, that people are carrying the concerns of the West in? I think to some extent, yes. 
I don't know if government and, and the people will ever truly be in one accord. Uh, history has not shown that to be so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But I, I would say that, that our voices are heard for the most part. That's one of the things that I really respect about the South because I didn't vote prior to my moving to Atlanta. Really? I didn't. I, and my family, I come from a line of civil rights workers who fought to get the right to vote. But in California, when I turned 18 and found that what I was voting for never won, I said, "Eh, let me find another ancestor ritual. Mm -hmm. But I came here and I saw local politics. I said, I can make a difference. And so, yes, but we have to be involved and we have to be accountable and we have to listen to each other. Is the West End still a viable part of town for small business owners, black-owned, women-owned businesses to get their start? Absolutely. People support each other here. They really do. And my push for people is to have a business that's going to benefit life, Mm -hmm. that's going to benefit people. We don't need another liquor store, okay? We've got enough fast food joints. You know, when we talk... No more wing stops? I think we got enough in the community. (laughs) I would just say, when we look at other races of people, and particularly the Jewish community, they circulate their dollar 21 times before it leaves their community. Why? Because they have people functioning in all different levels Mm -hmm. of jobs and businesses. And so for us as a people, because we've gotten away from certain things, whether through discrimination or through our choices because it's not glamorous, Mm -hmm. um, we then have to outsource. and, And it takes away from us building our communities economically. What would you like to see with the Mall West End? I would like to see it uh, certainly um, renovated. Mm -hmm. I would like to see a lot of the local artisans having places in there, so marketplaces. I would like to see um, really not so much the the big giant brands, Mm -hmm. but more of the smaller brands, more centered around uh, African-centered things because that is what the West End is about. Mm -hmm. And to have diversity within that. You know, we don't need to all sell shea butter. No shade on shea butter or ash. You know what I'm saying? But where's the diversity? We do more than just that. So to encourage diversity from, because again, that encourages people to explore other avenues of commerce, other avenues of business, which will help our community to grow. So ease up on the oils and incense, y'all. We got no, enough folks. You don't have to ease up on that. Don't ease but up. you figure if you're eating a lot of greasy food, that stuff going to come out the boards anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just rub it in. But no, I'm not saying to, to ease up on it because certainly no one wants to be visited by Uncle Ash. What we do want <laughs> So we do want to keep up our hygiene, but I'm saying let's support the ones who are already here, and let's see what we can do to cultivate new businesses. Are you hiring? I got a text message. We are always hiring (laughs) (laughs) at both my locations. We are always hiring. Where would you like to see Unity Coffee and Cafe in five years? Oh, wow. Franchised. I'd like us to have Uh a nice little cute little kiosk in every wing of the airport. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you get in Hartsfield-Jackson, you may as well consider yourself a global 
entity. Well, the city council is coming up next. You better go ahead and get the plug in. Well, you know, we've already put in our application for the raw reality, and we're about halfway through that process. So once Unity and Coffee is actually, you know, completely open again, then that's something that we're looking forward to doing as well. I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Cecilia Moat, owner of Unity Coffee and Cafe. Continued success with the cafe, and we would love to come back. We would love to have you come back. And are you sure you're going to keep me on the menu? You better come back so you can see that you are on the menu. It's called the West End Roads. The West End Roads. I don't want to come back here and see. Not the West Side Roads. Right. Are y'all clear? It's the West End Roads. I don't want to see the West End Ryan Cameron or the West End Monica Kaufman Pearson. No. I don't want to see uh, West End Lois Wrights. I want to see West End Roads. You know what, Rose? Let me say this. One of the reasons that I have been blessed to be successful is that I am a woman of my word. All right. I have integrity. So (laughs) the West End Roads it is. Thank you so much. You're listening to Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. That's a little Goody Mob for y'all. We're my Goody Mob fans. That's what's up. Uh, we are broadcasting live from one of the city's historic neighborhoods, West End, inside Unity Coffee and Cafe. This is our monthly series conversations with Rose Scott, coffee conversations in partnership with the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. And we're talking about what's on top of mind for residents, business owners in this community. I want to take the time now because I'm joined by Atlanta City Council Member Jason Dozier. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I've been talking to you since you were a candidate. <laughs> can't, you can't get rid of me that easy. Can't get rid of you. What, what is about this, this neighborhood, this community that is so special? I think... Uh, you know, I know your previous guest talked a lot about the history here. I see it as the confluence of the black diaspora and black culture in all of its forms, whether you are a Muslim, whether you are Afrofuturist, whether you are Bohemian, as uh, Tassili said earlier. I see West End as being a confluence of all those cultures in a way that you don't really experience anywhere else in the city or anywhere else in the, anywhere else in the country, as far as I, I've seen so far. When you decided to run, I believe, I I think I might have moderated a couple of debates that you were in, and you talked then about wanting to make sure the first thing was that folks who have been a part of this community, who are part of this community's identity, would always, and people say this a lot, have a seat at the table, their voice would be represented. Now, as a council member, you feel like you're at least being able to do that, Councilmember Dozier, or are you having some challenges? I, I, I think so. I think that, um, you know, it's not the easiest 
way to approach any sort of policy making, but I always want to make sure that we include all voices in the decisions that we make. You know, we have all these community meetings that happen. Our, our team goes out door to door into the apartments, into uh, uh, the corner stores and places that, you know, don't necessarily get touched by our city departments or our neighborhood associations or NPUs to ensure that people have a voice. Uh, one of the things we also try to do, too, is make sure we see the community as a whole, not just our residents, but also our businesses, also our faith communities, because they all help define who we are as neighborhoods, as communities, as a city, and we try to protect that as best we can. We know that Microsoft has halted its plans for a campus, which just is a bit north of, of this district and, and just down the street from us. we got the Mall West End. Uh, things are changing slowly, and then things may not change. But is there an opportunity for the city to work with these huge developments who saying they're going to do this, saying they're going to do that, but then sometimes these promises that are made to the community, there's a whole list that we could talk about in terms of community benefits that were never, ever, ever brought online, but they were promised for the community to get behind some developments. What's missing here? What, what, what is the challenge in trying to get some of these corporations to, number one, honor their commitments, and some have, I want to be fair, but then again, you have a situation here where you're waiting to see these two developments come online and nothing. Yeah, I, I think you, you nailed it. It's a community benefits agreement. And we haven't, as a city, been successful in having a legally binding community benefits agreement. As Why part not? Of Why is that always off the table? I think a big part of it is, you know, you have a desire to see the deal get done. So there's reticence on the part of whether it's a, a previous administration or city, a previous city council. Uh, and people just want investment or development by any, any means necessary. On the other hand, I think that because it hasn't been done at the scale that has been done in New York City or in, in Los Angeles, folks feel that Atlanta is different, so we should use a different set of rules. But uh, Atlanta is different, but at the same time, we have to do a better and bigger job of protecting our communities. And so one of the things that – that's why I ran for office in the first place, my experience with the Turner Field Community Benefits Coalition and being unsuccessful in that fight made me want to ensure that the city does a better job of, uh, for future developments, that being not only a part of the discussion but central to the discussion so that we go into this as a partnership, not as adversaries. But it's – it's often that there are these tax incentives that are involved, there's TADs, there's all these other amenities and all these lucrative incentives that are very attractive to these, some of these big developments. So why can't you then have a binding agreement? Because someone say, look, you know, if you're buying a house, for example, and they want you to put earnest money down, okay, we know the reason for that. Why can't you have these big developments say, look, if y'all pull out, you need to write us a check. No, oh, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, what y'all think? I'm just, you know, <laughs> no. I'm not... I'm no, just saying, you know. I, I, I agree with that a thousand percent. And, you know, as we have conversations, I'm on the Invest Atlanta board, for instance. Sure. And, you know, we have a lot of goals that we, you know, make developers follow around affordable housing, around uh, those sorts of things that have gotten in the news a lot. But there's other public benefits around how we are going to address stormwater runoff, how we're going to address uh, making sure that people can walk to a grocery store or get to a park and make sure we have more green space. So public benefits go beyond just what we state in our affordable housing mandates. But mm -hmm. unless it's legally binding, unless we have a legally binding document that a developer signed on to, it's hard to have accountability. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to change from a, how we do business standpoint here in the city. But is, we have a ways to go to get to that point. Is that something that the council as a whole just can't agree on? Or is Mayor Dickens behind that? No, I don't think it's you know, anything to do with how we 
you know, past policy at the council or, or mayor standpoint, I just think it's having a conversation with developers as they come before community saying, hey, we want to do a big development in your neighborhood, making sure they know out the gate that's something that they're going to have to commit to before we agree to that rezoning, before we agree to some of these tax incentives. And I, and I think part of that includes a conversation with the members of the Best Atlanta Board or members of the administration that this is something that we want to ensure is part of the deal before we even get a chance to vote on it, making sure at the beginning that's, that's what's on the table and that has to be addressed as quickly, as aggressively as possible. The last time we spoke, you talked about wanting to ensure for this community that pedestrians would be safe. Uh, now, that's a whole other conversation about can we all share the road? Because if you ask some drivers about sharing a the road, they, they roll their eyes because they don't want to share a road. But you talked about the importance of walkability, pedestrian and bike safety for Atlanta. My producer, Daniel, rides his bike everywhere. I say a prayer whenever he leaves the station because he just loves it. He's like Paddington Bear on his little bike. He just <laughs> loves to ride his bike. But I worry about him because I, I see how folks drive. What is the missing in terms of the transit and mobility there are a lot of projects, council member, that are still on hold from SPLOS we all voted on years ago. Yeah. What's the holdup? Well, well, the holdup, in my opinion, is we need to hire more project managers in our Department of Transportation. We need to hire more subject matter experts who have gotten experience in delivering projects quickly in other parts of the city. Bring those folks here to Atlanta. Make sure that they're able to deliver projects here as well. We just got a $30 million grant from the federal government yes. to, for uh, complete streets on Pryor and Central on the east side of my district. I want to make sure we're able to deliver on that project so we're not giving money back to the federal government. But we need those subject matter experts. We need them to be working for the city, not working for these consulting firms that we're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to do the work that we should be able to do in-house. So I think that's a big missing part of it. Now, y'all just gave back $10 million to the federal government for rental assistance because you missed the deadline. How do you ensure that that doesn't happen with this $30 million from the feds for this type of project, these type of projects. Yeah, I think it's, it's making sure it's accountability, and that means having regular conversations with the Department of Grants and Community Development, having regular conversations with the Department of Transportation, and getting more in the weeds on these projects than maybe I'm sure they feel comfortable with. I mean, we're repaving uh, parts of downtown Atlanta right today, and I sent an email to Commissioner Cavaness, what's the timeline, what, what's going on, what updates can you get, give me? And I know that, you know, that's an executive function in terms of those day-to-day -day updates, but as a council member, I need to be able to, to talk to my constituents and tell them what's happening mm -hmm. and, and let them know that, that their tax dollars are, are, are going to something that is going to be benefit them. But it means having an open line of communication, not only with those commissioners, but with the administration and with the community. And I think that you know, we, our failures in the past help inform our successes going forward, but it takes takes time to, to get to rebuild that trust. We have a new, relatively new council. We were over the year mark now, a uh, relatively new mayor, and I think we're all committed to that, to that goal. I have a question from an emailer who, of someone who emails and says, you know, can we get more bike lanes in the West End? They're coming. Uh, now, it's... Now, Council Member Zosia, <laughs> we, we have a good relationship, but if I had a dollar for every time no, somebody said, it's coming, Rose. I, 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 I appreciate the question because I, I too, am a cyclist. And mm -hmm. I y'all might see me down Ralph David Abernathy on Lee Street honking your horn telling me you're out the way, too. And I, I feel it. Um, but it, it's from, from project to project. There's a repaving, resurfacing project happening on Oglethorpe. Mm -hmm. A portion of that connecting to Joseph Lauer will include a bike lane. Uh, there are, there's a big project 
plan for Ralph David Abernathy, a complete street that GDOT is taking leadership on, and we're working with the West End CID and their LCI study to help inform the design around that project. You have the Lee Street Trail work that was funded through this Moving Atlanta Forward package that will include uh, more infrastructure for cyclists and pedestrians. So, you know, it's a lot of piecemeal projects. My goal is to make sure they're all cohesive and they work together in a way that not only makes sense for cyclists and pedestrians, but also motorists who have to navigate that so that we don't have situations where people are going to get hurt or killed. By the way, if you're just joining Closer Look, we we are at Unity Coffee and Cafe in the historic West End of Atlanta, and this is our live coffee conversations. Uh, Councilmember Dozer, I want to back up for a moment because everything we've talked about in terms of small businesses, development, transit and mobility, now let's talk housing. Because well, for people that work at this ca- in this cafe, they probably live in this neighborhood, I think. They probably want to stay here. Now I know that no one has come up with a magic solution for housing affordability which is a big difference there. Atlanta's, tr- you all are trying. Some say it's, you know, it's, it's a daunting task. For this community, what's on the horizon in terms of affordable housing for renters and then also home ownership for folks? Yeah, I think uh, two things that come to mind immediately. One, in terms of scale, you have kind of the, the elephant in the room across the street with the Mall West. Every development, affordable housing, uh, will be a big part of that development. However, that, that deal shakes out. Affordable housing is, is central to the vision of the mayor and is central to our office. Uh, separately, uh, we are working to try to ensure that uh, developers can can look at and use all the tools available to them through Invest Atlanta, through Atlanta Beltline, to ensure that affordability is a part of what they're trying to do. One of the things that myself and Councilman Bakhtiari worked on last year was housing choice vouchers and ensuring that developers taking public subsidies are using or are, are, are not turning away housing choice vouchers so that folks making that 30% AMI, which is twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year. How do you get folks on board to accept the, the housing vouchers because there is a mindset there. Right. Some people think they have this perception of, oh, this household housing voucher, they put them in this category. Well, my thing is, if, to your point earlier, if you take public subsidy, you got to provide public benefit. And so if you're a developer using anything from TAD funding to uh, any other different tools that we have with Invest Atlanta, you ought to be willing to accept the housing choice. Because at the end of the day, it's not really hurting your bottom line. Yes, you have a tenant that has a subsidy that maybe themselves are not making what you would like to see in terms of that quote-unquote market rate, mm-hmm. but that's what the voucher is for, is to cover that gap. And so, uh, and, and to do it in a way so that developers who aren't taking public subsidies see that it works, that you can do it, and, and, and build some goodwill in the communities that you're trying to build in, because at the end of the day, even if developers, their bottom line is to make money, they want to make sure that they can get their projects off the ground and telling communities that, hey, we're willing to, to include affordable housing, even if it's not a set-aside unit, but having people who need affordable housing be, live there will help, will help that in a way that, that, that we've had some difficulty in the past in getting that support. Did some research before we came on air, and, and right now in West End Atlanta, their housing for sale, houses for sale ranging from 150000 to you want to take a guess at what that other end is? I think 950 is the one I saw. Keep going up. Oh, well, I, need, I need more updated information. Then. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at over a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah? No, yeah. yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's, and, and, and I, I see this even in communities that aren't Beltline communities like, like West End, 11 Mechanicsville, and the house right next door to me sold for five times what I paid for mine just eight years ago. And it's 
is something that is, as a city, we need to do a better job in not only protecting our renters, and that's what we're doing through the mm -hmm. housing choice voucher legislation, but making sure that those renters have an opportunity to purchase homes. And that means uh, providing more funds to these down payment assistance programs, like Invest Atlanta has one. Historically, uh, they only provided $10,000 in down payment assistance. That doesn't yeah. do much for a million dollar home, but now they're, look, they're, they're moving towards tripling that number. Uh, also working with the Beltline, and in fact, Rocket Mortgage is gonna be doing some uh, um, uh, new initiatives in our community. We've to talked to them about that, yeah, and also helping uh, seniors mm -hmm. you know, with their property taxes. Uh, let's talk about the Mall West End for a moment. Mm -hmm. you know, and, I, and I asked uh, that question earlier, what would you like to see there? I would like to see a development that reflects the... Are you drinking my water? I'm drinking the water that was handed to Are me. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> drinking my water. It's okay. Uh, um, that, but reflects the community uh, in its history, but also helps the community grow in a way that is, continues to be reflective of the community and its history. I think oftentimes, I know the conversation came up about these big box stores that, that we talked about Harlem, and we want to make sure that that future development is, is truly reflective of West End and what it means for Atlanta, what it means for the city, what it means for the, for the state for, and for this country. And so that means protecting some of the existing businesses, not only that were in the mall, but also in the surrounding community as well. And I know uh, the West End community uh, came up with some ideas as far as community benefits agreement goals mm -hmm. that, would, that would be something that would be central to the redevelopment. And we want to protect that and preserve that. So, in other words, I mean, and I talked about this with, with Tassili, you know, she said, look, you know, there's some things that we can, we can expand, we can be very diverse, she said. So, through your lens, what does that look like for that? I mean, that, that, that's a lot of property, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot, I mean, I, I, one time, and I think people know this, they were talk about, oh, let's put a Target there. Nothing against Target, don't send me hate emails about Target, but, you know, do you need a, some type of anchor store, or anchor business there? I think, I mean, this is where you get to what the developers will say and what the politicians might say. And for me, I just want to make sure that there's an opportunity for our local businesses to thrive, survive, and to, and to, and to grow. If, if they have commercial space available for someone who wants to open up a, a vegan restaurant or someone who wants to sell art or, or, or sell oils and, and, and incense, then there should be an opportunity and, and low-cost commercial needs to be included as part of that. As far as like the bigger tenants, I, I know that sometimes to subsidize those smaller commercial projects, you need to have the bigger kind of fish to help to provide that subsidy, but it's a balance. But at the end of the day, we want to protect and grow what we have and not lose that in whatever comes. And finally, I do want to talk about public safety, which is a, a issue not just for this community, but throughout Atlanta and, and, and listen, across the nation here. And again, when it comes to policies and initiatives and what's working and what's not working, some people don't even like the term policing in certain communities. What's missing from this conversation that you feel needs to be talked about when we how we bring public safety to certain communities. Yeah, I think, and, and, and I experienced this in Mechanicsville, is you know we have Georgia State Police that come down our street the same way. We have uh, Atlanta Police Department, MARTA Police. Over here, you have every 
institution as part of the Atlanta University Center has its own police force. Are we talking? Are we sharing resources? Are we sharing intelligence and information? Are we coming to community meetings? APD comes to our APU meetings. What can we do to get the AUC or MARTA or some of these other stakeholders who are part of our larger public safety apparatus to also be communicative with the community as to what's going on? Because I think that has created, especially along MLK, mm-hmm. especially along Joseph E. Lowry, students' cars have been broken into. And there's, I think, we need to do a better job of coordinating resources and, and talking to each other so that we have a common goal in mind on how to make our community safer. And I think uh, we know the problem. It's just how do we get to the point where we have a solution. That's what we're still trying to figure out. Where do you see this community? And uh, you know, I asked about five years earlier, but I'm going to shorten it. Where do you see this community in two years? In, oh, in two years. In terms of development and, and equity yeah. for the residents and business owners. Well, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do on the short end of the timetable, you talked about transportation, and a lot of those projects, you know, three, four, five-year time horizons. But in the short term, you know, one of the things I committed to as far as making our streets safer is using that renewed Atlanta money from 2015. We're delivering about a million dollars in traffic calming projects across the district, including in West End and neighborhood planning unit T and, and surrounding communities. Uh, beyond that, I introduced uh, zoning, a couple of zoning papers earlier this year to uh, let, use our land use policy as a way to make our streets safer by getting rid of the drive-through restaurants and getting rid of the drive-through banks and the gas stations where pedestrians have negative interactions with cars more often than not and making our streets safer for people walking to school and walking their kids to daycare. So those sorts of things, knock on wood, that, that's something that we can make changes that will be implemented this year. Uh, but in the, in the intervening period, making sure that uh, we do more to ensure that all parts of our community not only are, are at the table but part of our de- decision-making process. That means the senior centers. That means mm-hmm. the, the low-income apartments. That means all parts of our community have a voice in, in what we're doing. What have you learned? What's been the biggest learning curve for you as a councilman? Um, Policymaking is hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, every time I introduce legislation, I get folks calling me out the woodwork. Let's have a conversation. I didn't know that you were thinking about this. And, um, and it takes a lot longer to it's even simple policy changes that, you know, are going to you think are going to have a big impact it's going to impact somebody. And so whether the gas station lobby wants to have a couple of words with you or a taxi cab lobby wants to have a couple of words, but there's a lot of lobbies out there that I didn't know existed until I got into this job. Welcome to politics. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I enjoy it. I love it. And uh, I'm thankful just to be doing the work. All right. Representing District 4, Atlanta City Council Member Jason Dozier, as always, thank you so much. You. You're always gracious with your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. You listen to a Closer Look. We are back in a moment. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. We are broadcasting live from one of the city's historic neighborhoods in the West End. It's the West End, because I don't want to get it wrong. Inside Unity and Coffee Cafe. And this is our monthly series, Coffee Conversations with Rose Scott, in partnership with the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. I want to welcome in, we've talked to business owners, we've talked to a city council member, now it's time to talk to folks who are also voices for the community. I want to welcome in Myrna Anderson Fuller, president of the West End Merchants. 
Oh, she got a fan club. <laughs> and <laughs> Lyndon Green, president of the Atlanta University Center Neighborhood Association. You got a couple people, too. Yeah, a couple fans, too. <laughs> Let's begin here. And, and Myrna, I'll, I'll begin with you. I, I, I always save this question for last. So I'm going to ask you first, you know, where do you see this community, particularly the West End? What is your hope? Where would you like to see this community, let's say, in five years? Well, first of all, we want to preserve the qualities that we have, the heritage, the Afrocentric flavor, uh, and then move on and enhance that. Um, there are organizations that are, are working to deal with infrastructure, such as the CID that um, Jason Dozier mentioned, and we certainly hope that we will see a mall hmm. that has been demolished and uh, resurrected, so to speak, uh, with businesses that are thriving. I think the wishes that um, Tassili mentioned mm -hmm. would be just awesome for us to have a different flavor that is progressive mm -hmm. and inclusive and has a, a mix of wonderful businesses that will be a draw mm -hmm. for people, not just in the community, but all of Atlanta. All right. Lenny, you've heard what, what, what she had to say. What do you think? In five years, what would you like to see this community? Well, in five years, what I'd like to see is homelessness eradicated completely. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see everyone with an opportunity to have a nice paying job. I would like to see equity in terms of health care. Um, I would like to see, I would like to, I would like to be able to walk uh, throughout the neighborhood without seeing people that I wish I could do something for. Mm -hmm. I would like to walk through a neighborhood that's safe without seeing tents everywhere. Um, I would like to see a mall you know, that I feel comfortable with or sending anybody in, you know, where they have good quality goods mm -hmm. and everything that's needed, of course, at a reasonable, affordable price as well. So I would like to see people that look like me and you, mm -hmm. you know, thriving. Mm -hmm. You know, I would like to see that 5%, uh, uh, the, the, the possibility of if you've grown, born in Atlanta, you have a 5% chance of escaping poverty. I would like to see that eradicated uh -huh. completely. You, you know, we talked about in terms of representation, you have a, your city council members, but you all represent two different organizations. And in the past, sometimes organizations, whether they're community-based, grassroots, whatever, sometimes it's hard to get everybody on the same page. How would you assess how you all in this community with different organizations are working together? And let's be clear, if, if there is some disagreement, y'all work through that. If at the end, goal is to have equity and all of that, how do y'all work through that? So that's one of my favorite subjects. Well, let's get to it. <laughs> so we have an organization that we formed called the Alliance, and it consists of the presidents and the leaders of all of the community-based organizations. And I can truly say, since we came together, we were able to eliminate duplication, uh, certainly enhance communications, um, be able to support one another. And one of the first projects we worked on was contacting the new possible mall developers mm -hmm. out of New York. They were very receptive. And we have been a strong hold ever since that. Um, and so we, it's an informal group. Sure. But uh, we get a lot done, and I believe all of those uh, 
persons are in the audience right now. We have um, MPUT, WEND, mm -hmm. uh, which is the Neighborhood Association, the CID, uh, West End Rotary, and I probably left somebody else. Well, let me ask you this. With the Mall West End, and, mm -hmm. and Lyndon said, look, you like to see a mall there, and you like to see businesses inside. At the end of the day, it does come down to the developers. How optimistic are you that, one, this developer will be in line with what the community needs? Again, very impressed. Um, they have been down to Atlanta multiple times. They're based out in New York. Is this the Presset Group or a different? Mm -hmm. Okay. The Presset Group. Um, they've listened to the community. We've had at least... Oh, at least six community meetings mm -hmm. that were well attended. And you could see from one meeting to the next that they took the ideas that were voiced at the first meeting, the second, and incorporated to the point that they could. Now, they've always said, you know, the bottom line is they have to make a profit. Sure. So uh, we have to be considerate of that, but I'm very hopeful. Even the model uh, that they have presented to us is something to behold. And it's, you know, multi-use. Uh, they're turning the mall inside out mm -hmm. uh, so that the, the small boutiques that Cecilia was talking about and those unique um, businesses can be on the outside and enter through the street. And the list goes on. There's a possibility so, of a hotel. So, so you feel So you're feeling optimistic. Linda, what about you? Well, um, now you start you something with a well. That's gonna like be a asking my daughter. Like when I ask well. my dad for money, he say, "Well, well, right, well." Well, what had happened was, right. well, look, uh, I trust the the focus and attention, the process that uh, Myrna, the West End Merchants Coalition, the uh, the West Hood Neighborhood Associations, and whatnot, the participa the participation that they've been involved and engaged in with this new development. Mm -hmm. But one question that comes to my mind immediately is, what's the problem? Why isn't the deal done? The second question that comes mm -hmm. to my mind is something you spoke about earlier, earlier. The community benefits agreement, is it codified? Where is it? I haven't seen it. Okay. Jason? Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and that needs to be done. Sure. That needs to be done. And we need to see it because it's something that I would like to get behind. I would like all our communities. If it's going to benefit this neighborhood, it's going to benefit us all. But what we don't need is to get hoodwinked again and again and again. And we're back here in the next two to five years having this same conversation. Well, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I, point, I feel like if it doesn't work this time, we're dead in the water. I just, really? I just think this is our shot. And if we miss it, it's going to be problematic. Problematic in the sense that you think then perhaps anything just will go there and it won't or it, Or it will remain as is. Yeah. And we've already had tenants that have left. Um, many of them are on month-to-month -month, um, leases. Mm -hmm. The uncertainty for them as well as the uncertainty, uncertainty for the businesses around them all because they're equally um, affected. As we wrap up, I want to get, and I ask everybody this: What is your, what's the identity of West End Atlanta? What's its identity? Um, many things, um, because it has so many attributes. Yeah. Um, but I think the Afrocentric um, flavor is predominant, and I would like to see that um, enhanced and maintained. You know, we have uh, the Lee and White 
uh, complex, mm -hmm. which is down the street. But guess what? They are the West End. Yeah. They are a part of the West End Merchants Coalition. So we've got to work together. So come to historic West End and, you know, purchase Afrocentric, in, enjoy uh, Tassili's, but then at some point go on over there and, you know, have a glass of wine, but come back. Yeah. Okay. Lyndon, what is the identity of this community, this neighborhood? Well, the West End has always been a place for me uh, to look up to. Yeah. You know, coming, growing up in different parts of the city, being able to walk to the West End or mm -hmm. ride my skateboard or bicycle over here. Uh, it's meant a lot, yeah. you know, going to the park there, um, even taking lessons of mentorship from uh, Mr. Billy Hollins oh, yeah. right there with the <laughs> photography, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, that's meant a lot, being a young black male coming up and you have someone on that level, mm -hmm. a small black business owner who's willing to take you in and show you a trade and different things like that. So that's meant a lot to me. And that's something that I want to make sure that we embrace, that we preserve, but at the same time, I want to make sure that we gentrify together and equitably. All right. Excellent. That's, okay. a, great, that's a great point. Lyndon Green, president of the Atlanta University Center Neighborhood Association. Myrna Anderson Fuller, president of the West End Merchants. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate a good conversation. But hold up, y'all. Don't, don't. We, we have a special treat before we say goodbye. And right now, I want to bring up our operations manager here at Unity and Coffee Cafe. Where, where is Sun Sunday? All right. Now, y'all don't know, Sunday is also a poet. And, 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 and she's going to drop some, some stuff, right? You, gonna, you, you ready? I'm ready. The mic is yours. Do your thing. And there's your cameras right there. All right. This is Sunday. You got it. My poetics are multiple, like my personality, with many levels of adaptions from journeys that created my meaning and understanding of life, and this essence of who I am and what I know to be facts by experience. On a different plateau of platforms, let me slang them to you. I mean, sing them to you. Like Annie, I believe the sun will come out. And I am the vitamin of every day's tomorrow. I refuse to be the sorrow that was given to me because my spirit was stolen from me and many variations of me. So now I choose my lifestyle by my instincts. That's freedom to me. I'm not sure if you really feel me, so let me go deep about how I overcame in these streets. From four, my mother stolen from me by the systematic lifestyle built tough to break black families. Labeled a prison brat by self. From the eternal emotional and physical reality where I had to overcome the fear of her not being here for 19 years and still wasn't here mentally for 15 years. Totaling 34 years of trap and confusion from living in many lands from family to foster care, from streets to being in many hands, molested and raped, not by strangers, by kin. And it's heavy for me to write while I'm thinking on it. However, I'm meant to tell my truth, so I'm speaking on it. My big brother, Marty Mack, the dad, said it was his duty to raise us. So after he did his bid, he did what he had to do and saved us. Even after that, my journey didn't end. I had to walk my own walk. It was hard, but I walked it. I had to make tough decisions. Some were wrong and I suffered consequences. I turned bad choices into lessons, so I made it. I started loving myself and now I'm greatness. 
So I talk their real talk with confidence because I've walked a real walk. And I've overcome everything that's ever been thrown my way. And I'm grateful for the family I built along the way. I pay it forward every day. I stay in my own lane. I pay my own way and I'll continue to overcome, not trying to put it in your face. This is just my truth. My scroll through the ditches. On a path, whipped by a few switches. Then came out tough with whelps on the other end. And knowing my own self is the greatest. And I'll continue to overcome it all without hateness. And so can we all overcome everything that's going to ever be thrown in our way. You can run, jump, hurdle, and crawl. But you can make it. Peace, love, and light. I am Mother Earth on the Vibe Line. That is Sunday Jones, operations manager. A big thank you to Unity and Coffee Cafe, the entire staff, Latrell, Makita, KJ, Sunday Jones. And that is it for this special edition of Closer Look. Today's live stream was produced by Daniel Keller Bradshaw with field producers Perry Patterson and Mark Ramsey. Our engineers, Richard Firth and Sawyer Vanderworth. Tiffany Griffith is our supervising producer. Also, Daniel Razel. LaShawn Hudson, and of course, special thanks to the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. (laughs) Uh, And of course, the reason we do what we do is because of you, the community, on behalf of WABE. Let me say thank you. This is our pledge, our promise to you. You are the producers. Y'all don't get paid, but your voices are important. Please know that. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE. From Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. WABE. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.